Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com, or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno, direct from New Jersey, Metal Walt, and from the band Motor Lord, Ian O'Rourke. Good evening, everybody. As always, Thursday night comes around. We drop some new content. Tonight, we have another fun one. We're revisiting the year 1992 as me and my metal brothers continue our series, The History of Metal. Quickly, just want to remind you, get up to the website, metalmayhemroc.com. Join our community. Sign up for the newsletter. Check out some past shows and subscribe, review, and uh, download these episodes. That being said, let me get my metal brothers on from Central New York, Ian O'Rourke, and from New Jersey, Metal Walt. Hey, guys, how are you? Glad to see you guys. How y'all doing? We are back, 1992. Yeah, man. So 1992, I'm going to describe 1992 as a whole as an everything bagel. It's like it's got some sesame seeds, some uh, salt, some garlic, maybe a little bit cinnamon. Maybe it's got part marble, part wheat. The whole analogy, though, is 1992, there were something like, I don't know, I counted it, like 150 to 200 hard rock metal releases that year. But it's like a hodgepodge of genres, right? You still have the 80s bands hanging on. You still have the classic bands or, you know, the bands we love and grew up on releasing stuff. There's albums, live albums coming out. The 90s albums are kicking in high gear. Then you have this new piece of metal coming in on the backside. So it's an abundance of numbers. But the question maybe we're going to discuss tonight is, is the substance there? So, um, Ian, I, you know what? We always try to make a cheat sheet ahead of time. There's a top 10 <coughs> list, right? But was there really one or two or three winners? Was there that 1984 album? In 1982? 92, yeah. Uh, it was, you know, we were chatting quick off air. I mean, the one standout would be, uh, you know, Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power, just because of what it was at the time. Um, you know, it's a it's a big jump from Cowboys from Hell to Vulgar Display of Power. And, you know, the leapfrogs that these guys were making, and the impact, <clears throat> excuse me, that they were having on the uh, rest of the metal community with their music um was not to be denied but there was it was you know you know if you had to do a one two three you know uh countdown to extinction was big but it wasn't rust in peace you know uh as far as you know at least from a a a musical appreciation perspective you know it had a lot of radio hits was still kind of heavy and then uh it's tough you know i mean really going off script from what my list personally is i would have to say white zombie la sexorcisto i mean that thing was everywhere they were that all that stuff was everywhere you know empty well and that's the point right i think i think you saw 
uh, you saw White Zombie, you saw Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, they were right. probably the three biggest albums yeah. in rock, yeah. forget metal, of 1992. Um, you know, and that was the redefinition of that era to come. But what, that would also drop off really quick. Yeah. Right. These bands were off the charts in a couple of years. But let's go back to that Pantera album. Let's not forget the influence that had on the genre because this was a hair band. A oh, band yeah. that, you know, cut its teeth in the 80s. They had Terry Glazes, the singer. You know, Phil Anselmo came in. We talked to Jake and Jason McMaster about how he goofed on the audition and <laughs> didn't, you know, you know, passed it down twice. Right. You know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Paul called, Mr. Abbott. He said, no, thanks. And then Vinnie Paul called and he said, no, thanks again. But anyway, yeah. look at that album cover of Pantera. Oh, yeah. The fist in the face you know, Phil Anselmo in those videos, just uh, he looked like Rocky Balboa coming out of that. Verno, what did you, what was your take on Pantera? What was the sound like to you? Well, just quickly rewinding to the comment about uh, the these bands and nothing was really big. The rock and metal landscape splintered, oh, and shoot. there's just like a, a like it exploded in a way that there's just so many bands, and now they all. When the, when the debris finally fell down, you had like the STPs, you had the um, Rage Against the Machines, this whole different kind of rock, new metal, alternative. Then later on, you found out that they really were just, you know, oh, hard, oh, rock hard rock guys. Yeah. 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 Uh, but Pantera, honestly, um, to this day, I never really got into them. When they came around, I remember I was in college and... I tried and, you know, there's some, you know, some metalheads were playing vulgar display and cowboys from hell. And sure. I was like, eh, never, I never, never moved the needle on my metal world. Well, they had the, the, I mean, I think the video walk, I mean, that's probably a signature metal song. If you think all time top 10 metal riffs, probably walk is on that list, right? It's just, you hear it all the time. You know, they did get that MTV airplay and they were the guys in short cutoff jeans and flannel shirts, still with the heavy metal beards. But they had that tough attitude, man. These guys were no bullshit. This was not not the grunge look. This was the new post 80s hair out of like the colorful pinks and purples of the world into this new look of the 90s. Right. I think I'm going to um, plead the get off my lawn guy, but I really wasn't paying attention to it. It was like. Never really got into it. Well, and it was also a slow growth. That was like they cut their teeth this year. And we talked about it on the 1991 episode, how they were the opening act for Skid Row on their Slate to the Grind tour. And little by little over the next two to three years, they would be the face of metal in a dark time for metal. In the mid to late 90s, Pantera was at that top. They were that the, the coolest new band, you know, playing the Ozfest and that kind of thing. They were that like, you know, number one B band under Ozzy or Sabbath. Well, and, you know, I mean, think about some of the, the lineups that they had as headliners. You know, I mean, they came to the Utica Odd in, you know, the early 90s. I don't know if it was between 92 and 94 or after uh, 94, but they had Marilyn Manson on the bill with them. They ripped the seats the fans did out of the Odd and were chucking them, at, you know, into the crowd throwing them the debris around and they were banned for years to not be able to play there. I mean, these guys, you know, they, they really kind of had the, 
You know, it was a, they, they had this consistent momentum that was building. And yes, it was different than, you know, uh, you know, what we were accustomed to with the, you know, the pant or the Megadeths and the Metallicas and the Slayers and stuff. It was a little bit of a different breed, but they really made a big impact, you know, um, with what they were doing. Not to discount it. I got to go back to because the dirt album by Allison Chains was really something huge. And um, I probably should have had it as like a, a, a 3A and 3B. But I remember when that came out, you know, I mean, that was a, it was a lot more thought provoking than what facelift was. You know, it was, you could see that escalation in their writing and they really had a lot of great material. I mean, that's one of those albums. It's a, you know, beginning to end kind of play album. So. Yeah, they were, I love that album too. I was all in on Alice in Chains <clears throat> by then. I mean, 150% in. Yeah. Went to see him on these tours, saw him at Lollapalooza a little bit later, Um, saw him at the Ritz very early on in this tour. And uh, it was like that Seattle, Seattle thing. It was Alice in Chains and I think um, the Screaming Trees. um, Oh, Mark Lanigan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, but, you know, cool, cool tour, good album. And this was the band probably at its peak. I mean, it was almost second album in, but they couldn't be bigger. Nothing could be bigger than Alice in Chains on this. And you're right, Ian. I mean... 13 songs on the album and it's 13 great songs. Yeah. Bottom line, hands down, no filler. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's one of those, uh, it's kind of like a a back in black kind of album. You know, they had a bunch of singles that came out that were, you know, top 10, top five singles and everything else that wasn't a single was still great. You know? Well, and the sister album to that, I think, right. Was the debut by Stone Temple Pilots. Sure. Right. And I mean, this was they're not, they're, you know, unfairly categorized. They're not a Seattle band. I think they were out of San Diego. Actually, the DeLeo brothers yep. are out of Origins out of Point Pleasant, New Jersey, where my family has a summer home. Yeah. Um, but I mean, FM radio to this day, we have a local station, WDHA FM. It's not unheard of that at least once a day you're going to hear something from this album. Oh, sure. I mean, dead yeah. and bloated sex type thing. Wicked Garden. It's another Freak. great album. Yeah. Again, it's yeah. it's the, no filler on this one. Yep. Um, I mean, and and they got the coveted opening spot um, in the beginning of '93 or late '92, where they actually opened up for Megadeth on the Countdown to Extinction. Tour I remember and actually that. Saw yeah, them. That's right. I remember. So, that. Mm-hmm. Verno, what's uh, what's your? Where were you in '92 on these two bands? <laughs> you know, it's funny. <laughs> you guys are sitting here talking, and it's all coming back to me. I was 25 years old. <laughs> Right out of college, getting serious with the girl that I ended up marrying. And I was going through a period in my life that because I am a little older at that time, you know, it's like, ah, oh, where are my bands? I couldn't, I couldn't get past the name of the bands, sure. let alone to sit down and listen to them, right. honestly. And then, I, and then it started getting like there was no guitar solos. And everyone was picking on my generation. And so subconsciously, I never really went after these bands. I heard the music, you know, you, you, you heard all of it, but it's like, eh, it's not maiden. It's not, sure. you know, it's, it, it doesn't have the, the imagery. It doesn't, I didn't trust the thing is I didn't trust them. I almost felt left out. It's like I was getting older. And it was, again, I don't want to say get off my lawn guy because 25 is young, but, but that STP was cool. 
you know, Wicked Garden, you know, that, that, that was cool stuff. They were a rock band. There was Cracker Man, man. That's all <clears throat> kicks ass. See, another thing was when all that stuff started, and I said in the last episode, mm-hmm. you know, fucking Nirvana, they're bitches, and, you know, it, it was just weird. You know, it was, um, I couldn't relate to this. I couldn't relate to Marilyn Manson. I couldn't relate to, because you got to remember back then in 92, some of this stuff was extreme. Right. The imagery, you know, Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson. Right. Shit. When I remember Metal Mayhem ROC's Bill the Rager, we've been friends forever. I remember when he came over with that CD of Rage Against the Machine. Oh, and true. we opened it up, and he goes, you got to check these guys out. And, you know, looking at the pictures, I couldn't really relate to Zach LaRocca and, you know, Tom Morello's guitar playing. I'm like, what's this? And it, right. was, it wasn't it was comfortable. It was different. It was yeah. di- You're it, right. It's not comfortable. But And I think it was, you know what, to add to your point, Verno, it was we were uncomfortable with it. And we were a little afraid because we're like, sure. where's our music? Is it right. dead? Is it gone? Yeah. Do we like this? Am I going to be uncool if I say I like this? And then I'm going to be picked on for being like, dude, you're deserting Sabbath and Rush and Ozzy and Deep Purple because you like, you know, Rage Against the Machine. You're a fucking sellout. Right. right? Yeah. But it, you look back at it 30 years <laughs> later. The subs got sub. I mean, it's Rage Against oh, uh, the Machine. Yeah, you went yeah. to every rock club. You went to see every band, and this was, you know, Killing in the Name was played on the PA system for every tour for every band. Right, probably on. I don't know how many shows I saw those years, but that was always one of the songs right before because it pumped the crowd up. You got all these stupid drunk fat guys going, "Fuck you! I won't do it. You tell me, fuck you! I won't do it. You tell me, right?" Yeah, yeah, and then you've come to realize that there wasn't a bigger Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen fan than Tom Morello. I was just going to say. Yeah. And these guys, you know, it was almost like they they gained my trust that, no, we're not picking on your bands. We love your bands. They're our bands, too. Right. It's just, so this is turning into heavy metal therapy, and I'm the patient. <laughs> it's all good, man. <laughs> I was going to I was going to go back and say though between Tom Morello and the DeLeo brothers these guys are guys that cut their teeth in yeah. hard rock and metal bands they that's what they grew up on that's what they loved just like a lot of the other bands you know uh the Soundgarden's Alice in Chains I mean Christ Van Halen and Alice in Chains toured together Yeah yeah and you know I saw all of Alice in Chains on those Clash of the Titans Yeah you know and they gained you know, Respect. acceptance sure. in in the metal community. And oh, yeah. so, you know, I'm going to lean on you too because you're much more in tune with all that and have a lot more experiences. But let's revisit some of our bands that we are comfortable with okay. in the 80s and what was going on. You know, shit like Def Leppard, Adrenalize. Right. You know, there was post-hysteria. Was there anything there? Um yeah, it's, you know, you had the big hit, Let's Get Rocked, right? That's still got the MTV Airplay. The rest of the album, name another song on the album you remember. There there are none, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think what, what the theme of the Def Leppard to me is, you can throw in five or six or ten other 80s bands that all fell into the category in 92, sure. right? You had, and I'll name a few, Extreme, Firehouse, Faster Pussycat, L.A. Guns, yep. uh, Trickster, 
They all released new albums that year. They all had a cut maybe that got some airplay on the radio or MTV, but you're not going to look back and go, oh, what was Trickster or LA Guns known for? No, you're going to go back to the previous albums from three or four years ago. Of course. Not to say the material was bad, but that's what it was. That's why I said up front, it was these 80s bands hanging around. You still had 10, 15 new releases, but they just didn't have the substance and it was kind of fading out. Now, granted, there I think there were some albums that, you know, were good for the time. I think um, you know, uh King's X, it was a self-titled release. It was, I think, their third album, third, yep. but had some strong material on there. Lynch Rob's self-titled release. That was their second release, strong material on there. And probably the biggest one, Vern, was Bon Jovi's Keep the Faith. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not uh, an advocate of that band, but that was probably their last giant oh, huge. like arena rock yeah. 80s style album. Yep. Like, you know, that was it. And they were still that arena status. Everybody's still, you know, open it up for them. They're playing the stadiums. So that's what the hair bands were up to. I mean, Ian, what's your take on some of these bands and albums? Yeah, I mean, I remember a buddy of mine turned me on to uh, the Crimson Idol album from Wasp. And at this point, Blackie had, you know, everybody was was gone. Uh, Blackie was doing all of the writing and then had a bunch of friends come in to contribute. (laughs) You know, he had uh, Bob Kulik play guitar, Doug Aldrich play guitar. It was a concept album, complete departure from what, you know, he had done in the past, but still contained a lot of good material. You know, it's something I mean, people may want to check out the dog eat dog album from Warren is probably one of their heaviest albums, solid, heavy. And you could see where these bands were trying to maybe follow in the footsteps of somebody like uh, Skid Row or something like that, where they could, you know, finally put out material that was a little bit more in the vein that they wanted to. It wasn't all parties and Sunset Strip kind of thingy. Um, had a little bit more teeth to it. Um, was there anything ultra memorable? Eh, nothing that, you know, jumps to mind, but I remember at the time hearing it going, that's a departure. That sounds completely different. Do you think, uh, you think there was enough time for them to have, be having a reaction of the, air quote, grunge movement, so they were stripping their sound down and getting heavier? Oh, I'm sure that that was part of the interpretation or part of the perception, too. You know, because you had, you know, they're looking at bands like Alice in Chains, and they're like, well, I mean, they're just a hard rock band, too. You know, or Soundgarden, they're just a hard rock band, too. And those guys were still doing guitar solos. They just were doing them differently. There wasn't, you know, the only guy that was really doing, well, the three guys that were doing, four guys, sorry, Eddie Van Halen tapped, Steve Vai tapped, Joe Satriani tapped, and Nuno Betancourt tapped. Why? Because it was a fixture of what they did. But you didn't hear, you know, all these other guys trying to do all these flashy solos. Um, you know, the, the Warrant album, uh, the one thing I remember specifically about it was I don't remember ever previously hearing, um, either, it was either a wah or a roto vibe effect on the guitar where that was something that was very innate to especially Jerry Cantrell. Jerry Cantrell was an avid Y user, used it very well. So, you know, I mean, there was a lot of bands, you know, I mean, I remember um, The Lizard by Saigon Kick. Now I had the one big single on there and everything, you know, that kind of came out. That was more of a of a conceptual type piece, but that was very, 
brooding and dark and heavy. It didn't have any of that kind of I sunset strip vibe. That's really the only thing. I mean, that was they stripped it all back. They made it darker. They made it heavier to try to probably coexist with the times and maybe uh, an influence of what was what, going on. What about Lynch mob? I mean, you start talking Sunset Strip and guitar guys, oh, George well, Lynch. George was that album to me is always sacred. You know, those first two Lynch mob albums are great. Different singer. And he kind of kind of pulled the Jakey e. Lee on this one. You know, uh, Lance and I talked about it when we did the Badlands. Uh, we did a discussion recently on Badlands and uh, the first album was, you know, you could tell there's a, that heavy bluesy swagger to it. Still smash in the face. Second album comes the kind of reserved bluesy vibe kind of jumps up a little bit more. Lynch did the same thing. You know, he still had some great material on there. There were some rockers, but um, you know, a lot of the stuff kind of had this, you know, it, I call it the George Lynch sound. If you listen to, Every Lynch Mob album that he's done, there's a sound to it, you know, yeah. and it's different than Dokken. You know, it's it's definitely different than Dokken. Well, think about, too, these bands we're talking about here, guys. Yep. Imagine being in their shoes at this time, right? Mm. They see the Seattle sound coming in. Oh, the, yeah. the You know, the sound is coming in. They're probably desperate to say, you know what, if we want to maintain our status on electro records or atlantic or the big labels right? right the labels are probably going what are you guys gonna do yeah you, you know you can't be pulling the same crap from two years ago you gotta adapt your sound or we're gonna drop you sure. so these bands maybe unfairly maybe they were forced into writing stuff that maybe was a little bit different than right. what they thought got them on the map to begin with however like you said ian maybe it was like hey we wanted to always be a little bit more of a rock, heavier rock band, but we weren't allowed to right. because 88, 89, 90, 91, we had to be kind of a, that cheese factor. Listen, right? I got to tell you, I the the best example I can tell you about all of this is I, I lived this, you know, coming from what I did, you know, going through and graduating high school. We were a party rock band, man. We would, it, it was all about, Van Halen and Motley Crue and, you know, that kind of stuff. Jump forward into the 90s, we didn't want to lose the old school hard rock vibe. So the band kind of shifted and we ended up, you know, picking up doing stuff that was a little bit more almost, you know, boogie rockish at times, you know, the the, the band we were yeah. doing. Um, still trying to keep one toe in the in the metal water, you know, and... Mm -hmm. You know, but we were adapting our sound, and that was one of the things that we did going all the way up through. You know, and I mean, every band does it to an extent. You know, um, Christ, the, the Mighty Sabbath. Look at those guys. You know, by the time they were getting to their fifth and sixth album, they started, you know, incorporating new ways of doing songs and trying to get things a little bit more up tempo and not so dark and dirgy all the time. Stuff that's a little more, you know, by the time they got to the last two. With Ozzy, I mean, you know, Rock and Roll Doctor, I mean, completely different than NIB, yeah. for sure. You know, so, I mean, it's, I, I think it's a credit to the ones that tried to do it. And I think it was, you know, kudos to them to be able to finally get the ability to maybe do some of the stuff that they wanted to do um, a little bit more rather than having that cookie cutter from the industry. And then you'll see who stands out from the pack go forward, right? Because oh, as yeah. we get into the mid to late 90s when 80s rock was dead 
Yeah. A fair amount of these 80s bands, they stayed alive and they yeah. put albums out. They did their best. They probably were truer to themselves. Yeah. And then you look fast forward is how many of them still have a career 30 years later? A lot of them do. Oh, of course. Right. So it's it's uh, and I think that's what we'll always appreciate about appreciate about that music growing up was, you know, we love that the bands dedicated their lifers to the craft. They're dedicated. Right. right? So they're not they're not changing around. Right. They still right. out there and they're alive. Right. Which you can't say about a lot of the bands in, in the new age. So, all right, enough about the 80s bands. What about... I have one comment about, about the 80s, and then, well, we'll revisit it again. But just to comment on, you're talking about these 80 bands, they made a career about it. point we'll talk about a little later is the, the resurgence of, of the nostalgia. Right. So, um, so we'll, we'll get to that point. But I do have a couple points about some of our older bands. Well, fuck it. Let's get it out of the way now. Kiss, Revenge. I loved it. Uh, yeah. Loved it, too. You know, one of their best albums. Yep. Vinnie Vincent came back, wrote some stuff. Simon had balls. It was great. Just the, the music on. What they have? Uh, you know, Unholy. Even oh, yeah. Paul, uh, Take It Off. That was a cool song. Domino. But do, uh, you, do you remember that first time hearing? Because Unholy was the first single that yeah, they released. Yeah. That I was like, holy shit. This is Kiss. Thank you. Thank you. Not the, you know, fluorescent. You know, spandex copy, David Lee Roth vibe. You know, that was, this was cool shit. I saw the tour down in Binghamton's like second or third date. Oh, yeah. It was, it was great. Well, you saw the tour, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I saw it twice. And, and to go back to the album, I agree with you guys. It had a, there was certain sound element to the mix of the songs. Oh, yeah. Um, it was heavy, but even the, the melody on songs like Take It Off or, yeah. um, Domino, you know, uh, yeah. Domino, like just cool, yeah. you know, really, really cool. The album cover, you know, there was like the kiss sprayed on the side. It looked like an old military bomber plane, the metal side. Yep. You know, they were in their leather coats, their leather jackets. They were badass. <laughs> yeah. I saw this tour twice, actually. Um, they did a little intro tour in the spring of the year when this came out and they did a, a handful of clubs around the Northeast. I got to see him at the old Lamore in Brooklyn, which was killer. Wow. Right. And, uh, and then they came back, uh, in the fall and they did, uh, the tour and I believe it was faster pussycat and trickster that opened. I saw the opening night in Bethlehem PA and it was about a two hour show. And I know on that show, they tested a bunch of older songs that were dropped after that show and never played again on that tour. And I know one of them was Christine 16 and I think it was firehouse and maybe I want you. So that was a memorable one for me because they road tested these songs and then said, eh, they don't work. They're out, but definitely a big tour, longer show. And this is when hot in the shade and revenge tours kind of about got them back on the map to playing the best of all of their eras, not just, focusing on the current material. So definitely, I think we all agree this was a top five album of us for 1992. One thing I got to add, <clears throat> at this time, after they released this album, there was an explosion of Kiss cover bands that came out. I remember, at least on the East Coast way, you had Cold Gin, you had Destroyer. Um, there was another one there. I can't think of what they were. And they played like crazy. And I can remember seeing Destroyer in a small club that we used to play at in uh, Utica. And the guitar player with the smoking guitar totally killed the solo. I mean, it was just amazing just to see them. But they were bringing back some of that old vibe that got missed because now you had them 
turning the corner with this darker look, this heavier sound. So now it's like, okay, all of the 80s stuff is forgotten. Let's jump into the cool stuff again. So it was great. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Two of the other bigger releases in 92 were uh, Dream Theater's Images and Words and Iron Maiden's Fear of the Dark. Um, I can't say that I um, am the biggest, uh, you know, aficionado of Dream Theater. I don't know their catalog, but I fully respect them. This was a big album for them and had their probably most famous song, Pull Me Under, and Iron Maiden's Fear of the Dark. What I remember from this period for me was Maiden actually never toured this album in the States, but they did a handful of club shows. And uh, August 1992, they played a club show, just like the Kiss Club show at the Ritz in New York City. And who opened the show? Dream Theater. I was at it. Mm. Um, The album itself, Fear of the Dark, it's got some great songs. Is it a full, complete album? One of the more memorable ones we'll go back to in the history of time? No, but I think we can all all say that the album cover's cool, the title track is cool, and there's other songs on that. It's a Maiden album. What do you guys think of uh, Fear of the Dark? I uh, personally, I, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, Ian. I personally love it. Um, I like it, even though the fact, you know, it veers away from their normal, you know, there's usually some conceptual type stuff. This is a little bit more straightforward. Um, kind of, uh, this was, <clears throat> to me, like a personal step pad, so you had, you know, Painkiller in 1990, which was just a freaking slammer kind of comeback. This was uh, Maiden after they had kind of been away for uh, a year or two. And I I loved it. I, when it kicks off with Be Quick or Be Dead, I mean, it's just a freaking or, and Fear of the Dark. It's, it's just slamming album. It's got a lot of great material on there. And think of, you know, the song Fear of the Dark was so big that it's, you know, even when they do their live shows, it's one of those sing-along songs. The entire crowd gets into it. It's a it's an Iron Maiden anthem. Yeah. thirty yep. years later. Oh, yeah, huge. Got to fact check you, bro. Uh, I saw the Fear of the Dark tour the, the day yep. after you saw them in New York City. They started the tour in uh, Rochester. They actually uh, you saw them in uh, the eighth at the Ritz in June, and then. They came to Rochester. We're here for two days doing pre-production or uh, rehearsal. They started the tour. Mm-hmm. Remember, it was um, played the War Memorial, but they had to curtain it off. It's really sad. There's like two thousand people there, and oh. the tour ended up uh, probably getting aborted. I think I heard something later on that it was canceled. You know, shortened, if you will. Sure. And so. Um, uh, you know, Fear of the Dark, you know, what would it have on there? Quicker Be Dead. Um, it had that? Wasting Love, which became a video and a single. Yes. And I remember for me at the time, it was like, what? Wait a minute. This actually is a little slow. It's like a a, right. a, a slower song and almost like a maiden ballad, if you could have one. And I was like, wow, that's a departure. Not bad, but one that stood out in an odd kind of way. Yeah. You know, I think they tried to... Uh, Strike lightning again, like um, uh, from here to eternity was sort of like something of somewhere in time. And was this the last album with Bruce? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they uh, I remember when Bruce left and you could tell now because part of the you know, major factor him leaving was the creative non-input on his end. And yeah. so we're well, talking about vocalists that were departing. How about vocalists that were returning? 
the Ronnie, the great Ronnie James Dio, Dio. comes back to Sabbath. Love it. Dehumanizer. Love it. I mean, I couldn't wait for this album to come out. We've talked about this many, many times. I missed the boat based on my slight age difference. I didn't get a chance to know them, see them during Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. I couldn't wait for this. Um, the album itself, I think, probably unfairly, I gave it like at the time a 15 out of a star of 10 because I was just so infatuated that they sure. were back. But it still stands up over time. My take on that is it's a little bit more of a complex album. There's a lot of material on it, longer songs and a lot of songs. I think there's like yeah. 12 or 13, 14 songs on there. Yeah. Um, you know, they got on the Wayne's World film, I think it was, uh, was it? And that they had a yep. uh, time know, machine. Uh, time machine came out. That was far. That wasn't anywhere near the best song on the album. After all, the dead computer god. Um, I, I, I is buried alive. Uh, I mean, good heavy shit. I is just. <laughs> I like Time Machine. It's like getting hit in the head with a sledgehammer. I is when it, that riff just. Yeah, it's like oh my god. TVI. Yeah, well, you don't like um, time. You don't. You don't like. Excuse me, and yeah, uh, you don't like Time Machine. Oh, I do. I, I think. Oh, of course. I think that's a fun song. Oh, it is. I I'm not a big fan of it. I just think it wasn't, you know, when I first heard that as the first song coming out, right. I was actually a little deflated. I was like, oh, man, this is what um, this is going to be, this album. And then, yeah, you heard Computer God and After All the Dead and Master of Insanity. I'm like, this is the Sabbath, but you know, but I loved. Honestly, that the, the Dehumanizer really doesn't follow the same recipe as Heaven and Hell or Mob no. Rules. No, no, this is. This is escalation point, yeah, with Sabbath. It gets a little doomy, if you will, and it's a little slower. And I don't want to say prog as in prog rock, but sort of progs along. Right. Yeah, as I said, the the songs are slower, longer, a little bit more complex, a little more mature, um, and a lot of songs on on a lengthy album, right? Tours were great. I saw them two or three times in the Mm -hmm. club. I think I saw them with Prong and Exodus. Um, my, my first of only a handful of times I got to meet some of the members of the band. I had an after pass show at the first beacon show and I got to go downstairs to the club area and introduce myself. I introduced myself to Tony and in a kind (laughs) of a, a weird, like spinal tap moment. The only thing I remember was it was so loud in this room that he couldn't hear what I was saying. And I'm doing this. Tony and I'm telling him like talking slow and screaming whatever I wanted to say and he's holding up his ear going huh I can't hear you huh and then it was just like I gave up and I took a picture with him in geezer and I left <laughs> eh. but, I will but, say yeah, dehumanizer that, I will say dehumanizer the the it literally is like um omniscient to what would be heaven and hell uh you know yeah years later you know it's 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 that same kind of vibe but it works man it's just killer killer material you know and iomi is you know he's the riff yeah. god so there's a couple of albums i want to not let pass right because we still have a couple of the big ones to cover sure. that we didn't get to yet but to me there were some uh debuts this year that are at least worth a shout out and it was fear factory's soul of a new machine yeah you know, can't say I was ever a giant uh, fan of these guys, but I respect them for that industrial sound that they brought into the 90s and 2000s. And they were a very, very big player throughout that period. Put a lot of albums out of a high, respectable band. 
Um, and the other one that came with a bit of controversy was Body Counts. Uh, uh, self-titled. Self-titled yeah. with the song Cop Killer. Yeah. Now, again, this album, if you haven't heard it in a long time, it's fucking metal. It's heavy. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's thrash. But it's like, yeah. you know, there's a bunch of African-American guys. We weren't used to that at that time. Five black guys playing metal. Sure. And you got the actor, rapper, Ice-T in there. And then, of course, the controversy that came with the song Cop Killer, it was, you know, it wasn't allowed to be played on radio and that kind of thing. And then, of course, with the uh, with King. the killing out in the Rodney King thing that yeah. year, I think it was that year later, it became a, yeah. a signature song. So definitely worth calling out those two albums for what they were. And even a small mention of Ugly Kid Joe. I never <laughs> liked them, but they got big and they lasted for two or three years. Yeah, they were fun and, for a uh, minute. Yeah. They were fun. They were unique. They were different. Yeah. They landed on the Aussie. I, I was no going to say Tours part one. So, you know, and props in 2023. They just announced a uh, spring and summer tour. Right. Yep. So I guess, uh, you know, they're, they regrouped and they're doing some stuff. Hey, Hey, you know, if we're doing, um, you know, tidbits and show notes, uh, 92 saw Slayer drummer, Dave Lombardo leave for ball. Paul Bastoff, yep. uh, major, major singer change. Vince Neil out of the crew. John Corralby in, you know. Um, they should have kept we'll, them. We'll, yeah, you know, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll touch base on that in a couple of years when they release something. Right. And Metallica's James Hetfield, you know, that was when he got all burned up on that GNR Metallica tour up in Montreal. Yep. You know, that's uh, it was serious. Who was shit. the replacement guitarist that came in and took over for him in the road? Jim Marshall. Trivia question. Jim Marshall. Trivia question. Jim Marshall. Come on. His tech. <laughs> yeah. Formerly not, to be conf- right. not to be confused with Jim Marshall, the guy that created Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll give you a hard trivia question. All right. Yeah. On the Freddie Mercury tribute show in 1992. Yep. Yeah. Who sang the song Innuendo? Um, was it Axl Rose? Nope. No, it was. Um, was that when uh, uh, Gary Sharon? Nope, he sang Extreme Play. Yeah, it was Robert Plant. That's right. That's right. Listen, and who sang the song "I Want It All" at the Queen 1992 tribute show? You're really making me Roger Daltrey. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And Tony Iommi played at that show as well. I think he may have played on out on stage as well on I Want It All. I think he played for almost everything on the yeah. on the set because him and Mayer like this anyways. Listen, the one non-metal moment here, but one of the most memorable vocal performances closing the show was George Michael doing Somebody to Love. If, yep. if nobody's ever seen it, if you know the song and you've heard Freddie do it, Go watch that performance on YouTube. It makes the hairs on your neck stand up. And I don't have any, but they still stand up. <laughs> well, when you did, they stood up. <laughs> That's right. All right. Guys, there's one album we're leaving out that I was in our top five. We didn't really talk about was Megadeth's Countdown to Extinction. Mm. It was a big one. It was a great one. It was a yeah. good tour. Yeah. Guys, tear this one apart for us. So this was to me, um, this, was either, I don't know if it was by Dave's design or if it was record company design. This was kind of like following along after the Black Album. Let's see if we can try to create 
some of that kind of vibe. But it's still a slamming, slamming album. And it's so fun. High Speed Dirt, the song Countdown to Extinction, uh, you know, Angry Again. You know, I mean, all of these songs were in constant, constant rotation. Um, and it was just a really heavy, fun album. And it was another one of those albums that basically, you know, flipped the bird to all the alternative people, you know, because, you know, they were, you know, bashing anything that was hard rock and metal because if you didn't wear flannels and smell like body odor, you know, uh, you weren't cool. So I, I really dug it. Vern? Countdown? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Countdown, you know, it had those staples. Uh, it's no rust in peace. It's no, no. peace cells. Right. You know, it's, um, Honestly, I don't think it aged that well. Maybe it's just, uh, maybe just um, hear it too much, sweating bullets. But, you know, Skin of My Teeth, that's a cool song. Countdown, you know, um, and Angry Again isn't on that album. Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah. But um, But it was was that band at its second stage of rebirth, right? Right. It was the the Marty Friedman era now, and they were solid, right? From. From uh, Rust in Peace and then this album and, you sure. know, the few more to come. That was that pocket, like the second phase of life of that band that put them back on the map. Right. Yep. And they had a slightly different sound and they were at their high point. I love these albums. I love these tours. They were really, really good. Yeah, this was the the middle album when we talk about like those Trinity albums or trilogy, you know, uh, between this. Yeah, you had Rust in Peace, Countdown, Euthanasia with Friedman. And there's a certain continuity even though rust is just like stratosphere type album um these albums are still good you know and you could tell that they were in a good vibe writing wise when they finally get to you know stuff we're going to talk to down the road it kind of makes a little bit of a shift i honestly think it's um it, it, it may be a generational disconnect but i go the other way the okay. um oh the early the first one yeah the first one up until including rust yeah the the, the I, i'm still always back and forth with the that first killing is my business you know i mean i do love you know uh, mm-hmm. so far so good so what and uh peace sells but who's buying the stuff but it's um you know the first one to me i think a lot of it is the production you know it's just yeah it's, the production and you know and and to tell you the truth they went ahead and remastered everything and you know, it, it sounds worse. Oh. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the hell. I don't know what the hell, hell they did. Maybe some of it too. You know, I had a chance to. Um, well, you saw it live, the, right? Yeah, right. And, and I remember when you know waiting for and when when they came out and when you know looking down the cross and uh, right. last rites oh, and you know that whole thing. But you're right, the the mix on that. Yeah. But then it went straight into you know peace cells. Oh yeah. And Peace Cells is a great sells. album. Yeah. Like Wake Up Dad, Good yep. Morning Black Friday. Yep. Um, just my experience or my interpretation. Yeah. But yeah, no. Uh well, you're right. Uh Countdown, it it is a commercially and their next step. You know, they had to try to match the Metallicas, and they were successful. Right. You know, to this yeah. day, a lot of those songs are still on the set list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, overplayed but, and overplayed, but they were big songs for them. Yeah. That would seem to be the, the, the cohesive piece to everything that came out in the nineties overplay. You know? Yes. Yeah. Like foreclosure of a dreams, a great song. Yeah. 
you know. Euthanasia too, though, just like angry again, right? No foreclosures on. Oh, is it? See, yeah, I get them I mixed up, man. They're very close. That's that's why, you know. Uh, too many bubblers in the in the nineties. Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. All right. What else we got? Uh, let's go back to the eighties for a little bit and talk about um, uh, damn Yankees. Uh yeah. So much I mean, fun. We talk, so much we fun. Talked, now, you know, Walt, you say there's a there, there's a drop off, drop off from the debut to Don't Tread. I think the album is good as a whole. It just didn't have those three or four songs that, right. you know, the the MTV hits and the videos and yeah. and that kind of thing. I mean, the title track is is cool. Just the album covers cool. The old hillbilly looking dude putting yeah. his arm out Big well, back tire. in a pickup truck and he's his, <laughs> his mouth's open. But the material is strong. It's just a shame that the uh this was like a a, a super group that was weirdly fit in in a strange time and a changing of music and oh, yeah. it just didn't last more than these two albums but uh, well, i didn't see this tour but i loved it i love the album well let me ask you quite possibly did their 15 minutes of fame run up i think it was a combination of yeah there were four big names in the first album put them up so big they had the hits it was also in the late 80s to 1990. The scene <laughs> changed, yeah. and that was it. I think the scene I'm sorry. Changed. That's a yeah. that's a damn Yankee joke because right. the second song, 15 minutes right. away. Oh, sorry. I, I missed that one. I, I have to edit that part out. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think the scene change is probably the biggest thing, though. That's that's probably what shot them right in the foot. You know, any momentum that they started to try to build off from, you know, the first single just, you know. It was too well, much. these guys are all, they still had their other careers. Oh, Sticks yeah. has never really gone away. You know, I mean, Ted always yeah. did his solo stuff anyway. Night Ranger, I don't know if they ever really paused, but they, you know, they became a yeah. staple by the mid to late 90s and they're still and like wasn't 30 it, years later. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't it right around this time that they, they, I don't think they really did a whole big tour for this album. And within like the next year or so, wasn't uh, Shaw Blades trying to do stuff yeah. and Ted went back to his solo stuff. So. Well, yep. honestly, to tell you the truth, uh, me and a good friend, Kale Jammer, we saw this. We saw this tour tons. There was the time period where they were always touring with Bad Company. And oh, Brian this, Howe, oh, okay. Uh, the Brian Howe era of Bad Company. And I even, you know, I barely like Bad Company with Paul Rogers. <laughs> then you got to have a scrub singer doing it. Oh, uh, now, now, now. Well, this is where the okay, okay a scab singer. Oh, I know, it was boy. amazing. Amazing. Okay. Those okay. albums, Holy Water, No Smoke Without a Fire. Good shit, man. All right. Well, that, <laughs> Go listen that, to Bruno. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And we'll Paul save Rogers that for our we'll save that, rock singer of all time. We'll save that for a rock and roll detention. Yeah, but, right. but I gotta I gotta fact check myself. And um Pile Driver was on the first one. Oh. Uprising. Uprising was yes. Uprising was the song on That's uh, right. Don't Tread. But you know still both any, great songs. Yeah, yeah, that was still good stuff. Um, all right, well, you know, what else we got on here before we get out of here? Is there uh well here, I got a little something. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, the splintering of these of the music scene, rock bands, metal bands, alternative bands, new metals out there, goth is getting its point. But um, you know, a lot of those other bands were still like uh Walt said earlier, Ingve's still putting shit out. Man of War's doing stuff. Um, Merciful Fate, you oh, know, man. they're Return they're getting the stuff Vampire. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Motorhead, 
They 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 got uh, March or Die coming out. Um, Testament, The Ritual, which is a great album, you know, because they really only started in ninety seven, ninety eight. 87 or 87 or 88. So you're correct. No, their career was young. So uh, Skid Row, they're putting out B-Side, Slaughter. Um, Wild Side was, unfortunately, that was that last like big album. And that was when uh, Tim, his name, I was just case me, the guitar player, was diagnosed with uh, cancer. uh, Oh, from Slaughter? From Slaughter. He ended up. Uh, The Wild Life. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He ended up dying, I think, in 92 or 93. It was, it was sad, you know, cause remember that time period, you know, you had stuff going back, you know, you had your, um, you know, Steve Ray Vaughn and then you had Eric Carr and, you know, then you yeah. had these guys and it was all these Freddie. Yeah. Freddie, all these old soldiers that, you know, were all dear to us. And you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe, you know, and they're gone in a flash. So, uh, the one that I wanted to call out too when you were talking about the old guard. Neil Sean put out the band. Hey, listen, it's a good hard rock album, man. Double Eclipse. You know, they had that that first single, Hot Sherry, that came out um, from from Hardline. And it was, it's a pretty cracking album. This was, this was, I think I told Vern this one night when we were having a conversation. I probably had been tipping a few and he doesn't anymore. So I get motor mouthed and I keep going. This was one of those life preserver albums for me, along with the Lynch Mob and, you know, Voodoo Highway and stuff at that point. As a guy who played guitar and liked hard rock and heavy metal. And this album came out, man. And I was like, holy shit, this is the same Neil Sean that just got done doing, you know, uh, you know, what he was doing, uh, beforehand. Um, bad English. Bad English. Thank you. John Wade, I'm thinking, I go, I can't think of the singer's name, but you know, it's really a good album. The band itself was started by two brothers and they've continued to go on. Uh, Neil has jumped on stage with them and jammed a couple different times, but, uh, after this, he ended up, you know, reforming Journey and, you know, the rest is history yeah. for him because they're celebrating what I think a hundred years on the road this year or something like that or whatever. So. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not the biggest fan that knowledgeable, but, uh, yeah. guitar god, Tony McAlpine. Yeah. Yeah. Tony's a beast. How about, well, uh, you know what? Oh, go ahead. No, man, I was just going to wrap things up, but you know, we can go on all day. There's just, uh, well, I just wanted to throw well. out, uh, we had talked before and I know that we all have an affinity for the band trouble, but manic frustration was put out mm-hmm. this year and this is a slamming album, you know? So anybody, you know, do yourself a favor and go ahead and check it out if you haven't already. Eric the Wagner. Sleeper. The, the sleepers. The sleeper. Rest in peace, so, Eric Wagner. Uh, Absolutely. Um, ACDC. Oh, the live. You know, they released the live album from the, from the previous tour. Yep. You know, live albums are live albums. It's just loaded with all their hits. It's uh, The video's pretty cool. Oh, you know, huge. it's one of those... You yep. know, I think uh, it was filmed at Castle Donington or something. Or yeah, and you know, remember they had you could get that big pack that actually had the the two CDs and the VHS. Yeah. at the time, yeah. freaking killer, man. Yeah, you know, a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand people, and <laughs> oh, yeah, the crowd's just jumping up and down there and, and that thunderstruck. Just, so that just goes to show the power of some of those bands, especially like in ACDC in '92. Just telling everybody right there, we still rock. Well. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, uh, Walt, what do we got coming up in 1993? Anything off the top of your head, or is there any 92 tidbits you want to wrap up? Um, no, no tidbits on 92. 93, though, is uh, very similar to 92, and it's an abundance of releases, lots and lots and lots of bands releasing albums, that mix of uh, you know all the different types of metal and classic metal and new metal and vintage metal, um, the, the 90s scene, the grunge era, it's still all out there. Um, again, it's going to be a lot of the same theme going forward. We're going to see these years where it's it's not going to have 10 standouts like it was in 1987. We're going to have to pick out the best that we feel are the most appropriate. I mean, there were some killer releases in 93. I'm not going to lie. We'll save that for next time. Right. One of my personal favorite metal albums of all time. All time. All time. Was released in 1993. Uh-huh. I'll leave it at that. Let the suspension linger. <laughs> okay. Ian, any parting shots? Um, I'm just glad we got a chance to do this again, and I look forward to 93 because it has some favorites of mine as well. And the unfortunate passing of probably one of my biggest influences that same year. Okay. Well, uh, the teases are there. Again, get up to that website. Download some past shows. Do us a favor. Send us an email. Say, hey, Vernomatic, you're full of shit. Get off the lawn. <laughs> Metal Walt knows it all. Or go the other way and say, hey, Ryan Howe is a scrub. <laughs> In any case, uh, join us. Thank you for listening. And always remember to keep it heavy. See ya. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.